welcome to the Bible Feed podcast, a place for conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bible Feed podcast. I'm Dan Weatherall, and today we're going to be starting something that we hope will be a really good resource for for people to help them read and understand through different parts of the Bible. And I'm here with Lawrence Davenport. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? I'm looking forward to this series, and we plan to take different books of the Bible and to provide an overview and lay out some guides on how to read them, how to study them, how to see them in the context of, of the Bible as a whole, and also how to take lessons from them in order to guide our own lives as well. Obviously, they're all going to be fairly high level because some of these are huge books. And so we're only going to be providing an overview and hopefully some tips and tricks, things that we've come across while studying these books as well. Mm-hmm. So this is the first of those episodes. We're going to look at an overview of Genesis, fairly unsurprisingly, how we read it and how we understand that book. So maybe we'll start and I'll ask you a really tricky question, Dan. Hopefully you get this one right. Otherwise, it won't set the context for the series very well. Where in the Bible is Genesis and whereabouts does it fit? Yeah, so that's fairly easy. I think I'll cope with that one. We're right at the beginning. Genesis, (laughs) first book in the Bible, first book of the Old Testament, right at the beginning of the Bible, which is kind of unsurprising, really, because Genesis literally means that, doesn't it? It means origins or beginnings. I think, you know, our name for it comes from the the Greek version of the book. And the Hebrew is, the Hebrew name of the book is Bereshit, meaning in the beginning, which is basically the first verse. So Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, so yeah, we're right at the start of the biblical story in that sense. So it's going to set some foundations. Mm -hmm. And I think... Within the Jewish Torah, they call it like the first book of Moses or um, something like that as well, I think. So, but we, we take that name from that, that, that opening section that you've just explained. So let's dive into the book a little bit. Let's maybe start with some of the historical context and mm. the background of this book. Is it possible with a book about the very beginning of everything to kind of do that easily? Yeah, well, we're going to find as we move to different books, that's going to be a lot sort of easier to do to to place the the book in its context of the time of history and things like that. But like you say, we're we're right at the beginning here. We've got you know the opening verse in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's it's going to be very difficult to sort of look back at historical context, at least in terms of the first chapter and the first you know few early chapters of this book. It, it's also it can quite quickly get difficult and maybe even controversial to do this with with Genesis and to try and place it historically or place certain events historically. And that's probably unfortunate because we've got this book here. This is at the start, at the head of of the Bible, this collection of material with a message from God to humanity, to humans. And, you know, it's designed with a a message, an important thing. And and quite often, you know, there, there might be lots of questions about its historical accuracy and all that sort of thing, which is really actually difficult to to talk about because we, we you know we're talking about way back in time so sometimes we can get sidetracked by it and i want to try and make sure we we don't get sidetracked by those things and just try and focus on what you know what we think the the text is trying to teach us and you know if, if the text leads us to considering questions of 
historical accuracy of, of various different bits and pieces, then then great, we'll we'll have to deal with it. But if it doesn't, then you know maybe there's an overarching message which is a bit more important. So, but but having said yeah. that, we've got these big wide ranging events that are quite difficult to place creation for example you know how is that described and when that was and what that's about that's that's a big massive humongous question you've got the flood noah's flood talked about but then there are these very localized specific things that are talked about which paint a picture of early sort of nomadic times like drawing water from a well living in tents you know with the patriarchs doing that sort of thing so those sorts of things ring true from an early nomadic civilization at the times that it's purporting to be from and then, of course, you've got names like Euphrates, the Canaanites, Egypt, Babel or Babylon. You know, they're really obvious and, and clear historical references. So we've got, you know, there's a lot in there, even if we can't deal with a lot of the maybe difficult questions that, that we might want to. There's a lot there which, which root it in a, in a place and time. The Bible, Genesis, doesn't set itself up as a science book or a history book. It sets it itself up as a as a message from God, which is actually rooted in real places and cultures mm. around the Israelites. There seems to be this, you know, focus around the Israelites. And that's why you maybe get some of those historical events and you get some of the people and the places and the nations and the cultures. So it's rooted in that history, but a history that God is using to demonstrate a message, which is, you know, a key thing. So it's a great piece of advice, I think. Sometimes we can take our own kind of wanting to resolve everything and try and use the Bible to resolve all of those things. But actually, let's use it with what God has purposed it for, which is to describe the beginnings of his purpose. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really important. And, you know, one of the big pitfalls is to get distracted. If we're reading Genesis, so we're trying to, in this podcast, trying to give some views, give some advice on how to read this book, what to get from it, how the best to do that. Mm. You know, one of the easy pitfalls to make with reading Genesis is to get really distracted by lots of these peripheral details, like where was the Tower of Babel? You know, what sort of tower was it? What sort of building was it? You know, when did people start farming? And Or where was the flood? What was the extent of the flood? And how did the flood cover the earth if scientifically the amount of water you know wouldn't allow it i don't even know if that's right but can you see what i mean there, there's sorts of questions we can easily get distracted yeah. with but it yeah i think it's quite clear when you read it through that it's not designed to answer those sorts of questions which which can make us feel a little bit oh that's a shame sometimes but actually there's a lot more important questions it's answering yeah but not giving those answers is pointing us to go and look for what God really wants us to mm. to gain from Genesis. You know, you talked about some of those events, those big global events. And it's really nice the way that you, you kind of put the global events against the kind of the small day-to-day -day sort of events that it describes. But those those global events also seem to appear in other records as well. So the Epic of Gilgamesh, for instance, talks about a flood. So how do mm. we take material like that? And how do we how do we use that when we're studying Genesis? Yeah, that's a good question. And again, we could spend ages on that, which we won't do. I think it, it was really fashionable when things like th those ancient documents were first discovered to sort of say, oh, here we go, look, here's an ancient myth that shows that Genesis was an ancient myth. You know, that, that was the first kind of response. I think actually the better way of looking at this and the most fruitful and sensitive way of looking at the, the comparisons there are between Genesis and and Babylonian and Sumerian accounts of, of creation and, and the flood and things like that. The best way is to 
look at the differences. So yeah, there's lots of similarities. But actually, when you take, for example, the accounts of the flood in, in Gilgamesh, um, the gods of Babylon are upset with humanity so much because they're noisy. They've created them to be their servants, and now they're really noisy, so they're going to wipe them out. You put that alongside Genesis and the flood that's described in Genesis, and it's a god that's really interested in sin, in morality, and, and is disappointed in immorality and violence. And that's the god that wants to destroy wickedness and when there's humans fighting against humans, he's really upset by it. It's not he's not affected by the noise <laughs> of no, noisy, smelly humans like like they are in, in Babylon. So that starts to I think helps us just to see how there's a there's a message here that is important and profound. We can sort of start to see those differences and see what Genesis is concentrating on. I think that might help steer us away from the really technical questions that we could argue for ages and go around in circles about when actually there's an overarching message that throughout this book and throughout the rest of the Bible as well. That's, that's really interesting that within the biblical record, you get an overarching sense of, of love from God and wanting man to succeed. And there's a succession of failures and problems that kind of present themselves. And, and that's what God's interested in. So mm. thank you. So let's move on then from that to, to if we were to start to study this, you open a book and it's a pretty, pretty big book. How do you then start to think about the structure of this book? Yeah. So we've got 50 chapters in this book. So yeah, it, it takes a long time to read it through. And it's not just a straightforward narrative. It's not just a single story. There's actually, you know, the chapter divisions are, are much later. They're, they're useful for us to, so we can go to the right part of the book that we're looking for. But but actually there's markers in Genesis, like there are in many of the, the books, within the text itself that show the structure, show the layout of the text. So, for example, there's this this word generations, or, or sometimes in other versions will we'll say the account, this is the account of, or these are the generations of. And, it, you know, that comes up a few times. First time it does is in chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And then it crops up chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam when God created man. A little bit different there. Genesis 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. And you can sort of flick right through chapter 10. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. And there's more and more as, as you go through. I think there's I think there's 10 sections if you if you play around a little bit with the way it's it's shown. But you've got about 10 sections here when you when you break it down in that way. And there's been loads of theories about, you know, this shows it's a patchwork book, you know, different people writing and putting it together, which may or may not be true. It doesn't really matter to start thinking about that. The important thing is that we've got something that has been put together, assembled with specific sections that help us take chunks one by one as, as we go through. Um, and I think paying attention to that structure, as well as other structures, that really helps us to to deal with each isolated story and then see how that relates to the other stories throughout the book. Yeah. The, the way I've described it to people before is like, if you were to write a document for work and, you know, you wouldn't like Genesis and that you take Genesis and you took all of the, all of the chapter numbers out and you just have a block of text like that. Your boss wouldn't be particularly happy with that. So you'd need to have some way mm. of delineating sections. And so God has kind of put these punctuation marks in the generations of Noah, the generations of Shem to Ishmael, Isaac, etc. So you've got the ability to navigate your way through the sections of the document.
So yeah, is there any any other ways that we could look at the structure? You know, mm. we've got these division markers. Anything, any other ways that we can look at that? Yeah, so they're helpful, and I think hopefully we'll we'll see one way in which they're a little bit helpful to understand the message in a moment. Um, but as well as this, there seems to be sort of two halves in this book as well, and they're they're very imbalanced halves. They're not strictly half and half. You, you get chapters one to eleven, which is probably the more difficult section of the book, which is very much way back when, far away in the shrouds of history and, and time, in, in the mists of time, where you've got these big things like creation, like a flood, like scattering of people and languages. And and it seems to be that what, what's being described there or what the, the important message throughout those chapters, throughout the generation sections that are in chapters 1 to 11, is that this is about humanity. This is about, you know, this is a global focus. This is a, a focus on, on the human race. And like we've seen when we've looked at that very quick comparison between the flood and, and the epic of Gilgamesh, this is God thinking or explaining that the nature of humanity and what's happening. And it's basically a catalogue of of stories about humanity's rebellions, humanity's evil and wickedness and, and, and what God's going to do with that and God's judgments and God's attempts to, to bring it to a certain point where he can redeem humanity and, and save humanity. So we get things like the origins of nations, the origins of, of different people groups and things like that, big family trees that explain, you know, where Egypt comes from, where Babylon comes from and, and you know, all those sorts of things. So we're, we're talking very global in, in these these first 11 chapters. Yeah, so we've we've got like the prefix and the, and the tone setting of the overall setting for Genesis. So like you say, You've got these key themes which are introduced. And really, just to summarize it, it's about setting the scene for humanity and their relationship with God is what mm. you're, we're kind of setting up here. Yeah. So what's the other part then about? Well, towards the end of that section, you've got chapter 10, which is called the Table of Nations sometimes. It's the basically the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham and Japheth. And talks about all these different places, their, their sons and their offspring. And th- these are all place names. These are all, like like I said, Egypt and Canaan and Cush and Nineveh and, and Sidon and Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, it's, it's sort of explaining the, the division of humanity and the fact that there's disunity. And then chapter 11 really highlights that with the story of the Tower of Babel and the fact that they can no longer speak to each other in the same language and they don't understand each other. There's basically a complete fracturing of humanity. So then that kind of ends chapter 11. And the reason why there's a big section division here, or, you know, why the book is in two halves is because suddenly we now focus on just one family. And it's the family of of Genesis 11, verse 27. These are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram. And, And of course, it then focuses on Abram, who becomes Abraham, which most people will will know of and and heard of Abraham, the founding father, as as it were, of of Israel, the the patriarch of Israel, the nation of Israel. So it focuses on him. And then Genesis chapter 12 and the first three verses seem to be this hinge or this real key point in the book. So let's, shall we just read that? Genesis 12 verse 1 to 3. And you can sort of see how God is recognising the global problem as it were the the whole overarching problem of humanity and and then he's going to deal with it now through through abram so yeah genesis 12 verses 1 to 3 from the esv now the lord said to abram go from your country and your kindred 
and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yeah, there we go. So it's all about, you know, this so far up to now, it's been about fractured families and fractured nations and division and rebellion and violence. And now God is saying, look, I'm going to call this person out. I'm going to take him from his own family and his own nation. And I'm, I'm basically going to start redeeming all the different families of the earth with this one man and the nation that comes from this one man. And in him, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. So God wants to redeem humanity. And it's the story now of how is he going to do that? And he starts with this one man, Abraham, and the blessing and the promises that, that are given to him. So so this is the key turning point when the rest of the book is now all those stories about people drawing water from wells and someone going off to find a wife for, you know, one of the sons of Abraham and, you know, all these really little day-to-day sort of nomadic ancient stories of the patriarchs. And it's completely changed from the global setting to let's look at this little family living however many thousand years ago and living out their lives and what happens now. And God's given some incredible promises to them. And through this little family, there's going to be blessings to the to the whole world. So, you know, God's really setting himself up to a huge task there. And, and then the rest of the book, which is the majority of Genesis, is about this family. And it plays out where actually things aren't aren't as rosy actually there's lots of difficulty and and you can spend a long time looking at it and working out you know whether you agree with whether Abraham Isaac and Jacob did the right things at different points those patriarchs and it goes all the way through to Joseph as well and and the brothers of Joseph and you you think of well what the brothers of Joseph did to him is just an epitome of the kind of dysfunctional nature of some of this family there's some really dubious situations and it's not there to sort of pinpoint blame or work out who was right who was wrong who was more faithful who wasn't faithful it's not really the point it's teaching us it's introducing us to the way God is going to bring about his purpose it's through this family but this family is also part of that broken humanity they're part of that as well and yet God's purpose is going to rumble on. It's going to keep going. It's going to still develop all the way through, even when you think it's yeah. not going to develop. Yeah. And, and interestingly, we don't get a full resolution to that at the end of Genesis. It's not like we get introduced to Abraham in chapter 12 and, and these promises. And by the end of Genesis, everything's fixed and happiness. Like the whole book ends, doesn't it, with mm. the death of Joseph and these bones which are then taken collected up from Egypt and and put on you know they carry them out of Egypt so we end up don't we with essentially a description of the, the bones of of Joseph coming out of yeah, Egypt yeah. so it doesn't seem like there's a, a resolution at the end of Genesis of this, yeah. this this predicament that's kind of introduced yeah and and of course we've just read Genesis 12 haven't we where God says leave this place where he was in Mesopotamia and go to the land that I will show you. And of course, that wasn't Egypt, mm. you know, as you read through it. Yeah. That's a different part of, of the world. That's, you know, the land of Canaan, the, the Canaanite territory. So it ends up with them all in Egypt in the wrong place with Joseph and his bones in a sarcophagus effectively and him saying, look, please take me back. Please take my bones back to the place where we should be. You know, that, that's the promise he, he asks them to make. So, yeah, it absolutely doesn't resolve. And I suppose if it did resolve itself, we might not have many other books of the Bible to consider. Yeah. <laughs> but it really, yeah. you know, it really sets you up with 
this situation where you've got, okay, a portrait of the whole of humanity, where there's rebellion after rebellion, there's violence, there's fracturing, there's disunity. What's God going to do about it? He's going to make all the families of the earth be blessed in this one little family. This family is having all the ups and downs and struggles. You know, there's even moments where the one son, the chosen son of of Abraham is going to be sacrificed, Isaac. What's going to happen to God's plan then? There's moments where Joseph gets chucked in a pit and his brothers are going to kill him or they sell him off. You know, what's going to happen to God's purpose then? They're now in Egypt. They're on good terms with the Pharaoh at the time. But what's going to happen to them? Are they just going to become Egyptians and lose that that role, that vocation, that office that they've got to try and bring people to God? That's effectively the thing that's going to happen. And all the while, when you think it's all going to go wrong, God's purpose actually does continue. And that's probably something that keeps cropping up. So we've got, when, when you think back to the first chapter, actually, of Genesis. So we haven't looked at that at all other than the first verse. It's a huge topic to look at this chapter in, it, in itself. But this way of describing God's ultimate creative act, you know, the fact that he is the origin and the source of, the, of all this world. So this is a creation that, that we live in rather than some sort of random chance place and how it's described in lots of different ways. But the pinnacle of it is is God making humanity, which is what the focus of the, the book is about. And he says in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so God's intention is for humans to be like God in the sense of, well, that's a good question. And actually, I think he goes on to explain it because he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock. And later on, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea. He's basically sort of inviting them to to share in his rulership, effectively. You've got to rule um, with kindness and compassion that I have. You've got to rule with benevolence like I do. You've got to act like I am, be in God's image, God's representative. Look after this world, this creation, and look after each other and rule with love in the same way I have. And like we've said, like we've kept on saying... There's a global story of the rebellion to that and how it breaks down. And then there's the local patriarchal story of how that is up and down and tricky to keep to. But God's purpose in bringing people back round to that plan is is still going on. But yeah, you get that in the two halves, I think. So what we've kind of identified there, I think, is the major theme of Genesis. It's that the origins, we're talking about how God wants this creation to reflect him and that human beings have failed in that and that that's demonstrated through sin, violence, rebellion, etc. And how that then is, if you double click on the global view, you get Israel and then within Israel, we start to see this focus on God's way of redeeming and bringing things back. any other themes or any any other sort of deeper themes that we need to to take from this yeah i suppose if we take that one another level just to think back to how this works out or how how it the theme is developed a bit more you, you get of course the typical rebellion or the fall narrative as it's often talked about in genesis 2 and 3 
where the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, are made, given a task. They're in a garden. They have a task to keep it and maintain it and also to not eat of a particular tree. And and then they rebel. They choose to sin, effectively. So that's like the key origin narrative of humanity and sin and rebellion. They're choosing to decide what's good for themselves and, and what isn't evil. You know, God's called what's good and God knows what's evil, but they sort of choose to do it themselves and, and their own way. And And this is where I think those little generation markers come into play, because... Although the stories are different, when you sort of sort of strip them bare of all the peripheral details, you start to realise they're all very similar in the sense of there are you know, God knows what's best for us, for people, and people choose to do something their own way, and they choose to take something that's their own, they choose to do something that they shouldn't, they've been asked not to do. And then there's violence, and then there's mistrust, and there's broken relationships that follow, those sorts of things. Even just, for example, there's this really peculiar situation, isn't there, after the flood event where Noah has a vineyard, makes wine, gets drunk, and then there's this really difficult-to-understand passage where it talks about one of the sons of Noah covering his nakedness in the tent. And there's all sorts of possible connotations about what that might mean and whether or not that's a sort of Hebraism for other activity that's going on. But, you know, they were in a vineyard, not the garden. So, But it, you know, it's a similar idea. You can start to hear an echo of Adam and Eve in the garden, now Noah and the, the sons and his family in this vineyard, and then something being taken that shouldn't have been, something done that shouldn't have been. And then there's this broken family relationship and curse that's the result of that. And you start to see section by section, the same sorts of things play out. There's, you know, there's sections in the life of Abraham that deal with difficult situations like that, that result in broken families. So the point is, you know, yes, globally, as the Adam and Eve story sort of plays out, globally, humanity is repeating this all and over and over again, you know, on a national level, on a global level, on an individual level, we're all choosing in our lives day by day to do something that we shouldn't be doing and it results in violence or brokenness or mistrust or an unhealthy situations that harm us all and make us all miserable and upset and it's this cycle you know day by day we're repeating adam and eve's sin all the time they become this emblem of what we're like and and who we're like so that's probably a deeper theme of something to to look out for to see the the recurring patterns that come through that start off in Genesis 2 and 3 and then keep repeating it throughout. So, you know, that's something that I think is a really good thing to follow up. So we've spoken a lot about that theme, about the globalization of that theme, then in a family and then taking example for ourselves as well. So let's move on to a, to another section then. Let's talk about how do we deal with Genesis in the context of other parts of the Bible? So how do we look at this book and and use it within the context of either the books around it or the rest of, of Scripture? So first of all, it's quite easy to deal with it in context with Exodus because literally the thing I was talking about, which was the bones of uh, Joseph, the narrative continues straight into Exodus and you have the Exodus story, the exit from Egypt, the wandering in the wilderness. So you can see, can't you, that there's a, a narrative link where the people set off. But there's connections with a whole load of other books in the Bible. It almost sets like a foundation for themes which are then plucked out and kind of used elsewhere in, in the Bible. You know, whenever you're looking at a book, look at the beginning and the end of the book and see whether there's common themes. And if you look at Revelation, you see 
so much of the of the key either artifacts or events kind of reflected in some kind of symmetry with with the things that happen in genesis so you you have a tree of life you have no more sun you see the, the people living as a reflection of god so we have these things like um bookended so genesis and revelation so it's a very worthy st- study, actually, um, looking at the links between uh, Revelation and uh, Genesis. Mm. Yeah, that picture in Revelation is really good, isn't it? How it, it draws on the early chapters of Genesis. And th- there is so much. I mean, being the the first book of the Bible, you know, everything else can very easily draw on imagery in this book. So, and it, and it really does. So, you know, maybe maybe the thing to do here is just to point out a couple of examples in the New Testament where the things we've looked at, like the rebellion of the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, and how that that becomes a pattern of of humanity, a way of explaining what we're like. And that is sort of emphasized in some of these New Testament passages. So, for example, Romans 5, so one one of Paul's letters, where he writes in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So I'm diving right into a big, complicated book, a complicated sentence, no doubt, of of Paul's. But just think very high level for a moment. He's talking about the fact that, you know, just like that one man who sinned and died, well, death is spreading to all men, to all people, because all sinned. So you can see that, that comparison that's been drawn. You know, we all sin. We're all like Adam and we're all... In that sense, we all reenact that story all the time. And there's that passage in James that talks about temptation, where temptation comes from within, and then it sort of develops and conceives and gives birth to to sin. And there's this really graphic description of of sin coming from within, the same way that Eve looked at this the fruit and decided herself to go for it when she considered it. There's there's the other one in in First John, in one John two. And verse 15 that talks about this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. That's a really interesting way of describing, you know, things that are bad, basically. Things in the world, they're not of Christ. There's those three categories. And whether or not you can map them directly onto a verse in Genesis, you know, I think I think you probably can. And just the way of the way of describing it just is really reminiscent of of what happened when it says Genesis three verse six, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And there's that threefold description of what she went through in her mind. And I think John is picking up that idea there that all these things that are around us that tempt us away from following Jesus and from following his example, they're things that might look good to us, the desire of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, they might make us feel good and and pride in possessions, they might make us think we've got a good status. And that is a neat summary of all the difficult things that could distract us and take us away, which I think really, again, emphasises this fact that what happens in Genesis two and three is this pattern for for all of us that that we go through so so that's from the writings of paul we briefly mentioned james and there's john there as well so you know three different parts of the new testament that that pick up on this you know what we didn't look at in genesis 3 is the root of the solution that god brings which is this really enigmatic 
verse, isn't it, about the offspring of the woman crushing a serpent's head, and it effectively becomes this symbol for there's going to be a messiah, a savior figure who's going to destroy this. And that the imagery of that reappears so many times, doesn't it? With the messiah savior figure crushing a serpent and, you know, overcoming the problem within, which James talks about, the, the temptations that are common to us all so yeah there's loads we could yeah. go through i'm sure you'd think of many more as well lawrence yeah and i i just just reflecting on that on that that image of the um, the crushing of the head of the serpent that that figure is so early in genesis it's like mm. and we've only just kind of seen that first instance of man's failure that fall narrative that we read and already God is saying, look, here is a structure that you need to then think of throughout the rest of scripture as a formula for then how God is going to put in place this, this purpose of redemption. And you've picked out examples there in the New Testament, which are essentially just linked directly back into the roots into Genesis. The mm. problem is still exists. The, the problem is still there, but that little description of God resolving it is being outworked and by the time you're reading james and romans you know the messiah has come and the work has happened and like we're a lot further down the path so you know you see you know the beginnings or the origins the genesis of the overall story arc of the bible being being kind of projected forward and then we've already talked about in revelation we start talking about a new creation mm. so we've got the creation mm. described in genesis and the new creation which is then described in Revelation, which then reflects this state where men and women are not failing as Adam and Eve did, but they are actually reflecting the glory of God. Mm. No doubt there's so much more that we could have looked through, but I think taking a step back and just having that high level overview can just help to set the parameters for what the book's about, I think, and, and help to avoid us, I'm, I'm speaking of myself here, help to avoid me from getting distracted and bogged down in all those other things we, we thought about right at the start and actually focus on what the text is trying to draw us to. So hope, hopefully that's been useful. That's great. Dan, and thank you. That's a great takeaway tip for approaching the book, seeing it in the overall context. But then also in terms of as you're reading it, track the development of this nation Israel throughout throughout the rest of scripture so it starts doesn't it here in genesis and we can see that there's this development of a family just track how that develops through mm. genesis but then out into the rest of the mm. bible and kind of why is that important and kind of what is associated with that it's not just the fact that this is a random family but this is a family that's been selected for for the progression of god's mm. purpose and then maybe the third thing is that we're looking at this book, which is rooted thousands of years ago in a completely strange and weird culture that we have no reference in our own lives to. So don't necessarily, like you say, get bogged down in the weirdness of that, but step back from it and kind of understand what is it trying to tell us. Hmm. Okay, so we have we have some other material that we put together on related to this haven't we Dan? so yeah. maybe we could talk about a bit about that y yeah it'd be nice on these book overviews that we do just to sort of stop for a couple of minutes at the end and just think actually in the 50 plus episodes we've already recorded um as well as blogs on the website you know there's lots of things that we've already touched on this book so there's there's probably a mountain of material for genesis because it's so interconnected with the rest of the Bible, like we've said, and it's such a seedbed for ideas and imagery. But just a few little things that listeners might be interested in. There's a blog on the website, which is biblefeed.org, about Genesis 1 verse 26, which I quoted earlier in this episode. 
and whether or not that is teaching the Trinity, whether or not that is describing a multipersonal God where it says, let us make man in our image. That's always a, a tricky question or something that people turn to in that verse. So there's a blog on that that runs through the various commentaries about that verse. We did an episode quite a long time now called The Meaning of Life. It's based on Ecclesiastes, which we'll get to that at some point, but it drew on the Cain and Abel story from the early chapters of Genesis. So there's a little bit in there. A while back, Becky Lewis did an episode for us called Connecting with God. And that was very much the ideas there were rooted out of Genesis 1 and men and women being in the image of God in that sense. So I'm sure you can probably remember a few as well, maybe that, that root themselves back into some of the concepts in Genesis Excellent. And I'm sure we'll put that material as well in the description of the podcast. So, Dan, thank you very much for going through this first of our series of book overviews covering Genesis. Thank you to listeners as well. And please remember to go to BibleFeed.org, our website, if you want to look at any of the other material that we have created. Please also follow us on BibleFeed online on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And thank you very much for listening. listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think, hear your questions or subjects you'd like to discuss. So get in touch with us on our Facebook page or send a message from our webpage at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey. <laughs>